Hello, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Joe Lupton, and Bruce is somewhere over the Atlantic now, probably watching some uh, avant-garde French film and is uh, on his way home. But, uh, you know, fortunately, we have Peter McCrory here with us from the U.S. team. I think the timing is perfect on that because there's a lot of growing concerns about the risks of uh, U.S. recession. Um, before jumping into that, let me first provide my thoughts on what we're seeing, what we're tracking on the global picture. Uh, in short, I would say the story for the week is resilient, but worried. Um, you know, this week we slashed our China forecast again. We're now looking for a huge contraction of 5.4% annualized this quarter. Uh, we, while we have some bounce back built into that, um, the risks are skewed to the downside and it's uh, hard to see the government getting remotely close to its 5.5 growth target for the year. Uh, the bigger concern, of course, is what the spillover is that going to be to the to the rest of the world. For now, um, you know, the data supports resilience, right? The, the flash PMIs this week for the U.S., Euroary, U.K., Japan were, you know, all roughly not they moved down, but it's certainly not showing a breakdown like the rest of the or like China did. Uh, we had solid IP readings from Taiwan and Singapore. Korean trade data was good. Um, you know, jobs data across the world is, is still pretty good, including out of Europe. Uh, profit margins are still elevated. All of that is is great, um, you know, but we do not all as well here. We have big headwinds, not just from China, but increasing headwinds from inflation. And the U.S. is key here. So let's turn to Peter and let's ask, you know, first of all, how is the U.S. consumer doing against this onslaught of the purchasing power squeeze, the kind of decreased consumer confidence of everything bad happening around the world? Uh, when we look back over the course of, you know, the data flow, what what is the consumer data telling you? Right. Uh, so I think the word resilience is a key word here. The U.S. consumer is contending with considerable headwinds to demand. Uh, real disposable income is down something like 1.9% so far this year. Um, and that's due both to elevated inflation, high food and uh, energy inflation, um, but also to a an out outright compression in nominal income, which actually contracted 0.2 percentage points in the first quarter based on updated uh, BEA data released earlier this week. Um, that being said, the real consumer spending growth has been remarkably strong uh, up so far 2.8% from December to April. And those two facts combined implies that the saving rate dropped. Quite yeah, that's what's amazing, right? In a world where we've had basically no real income growth, real consumer spending has been quite strong. And this is something that we have, we argued in early March that the consumer was well positioned to endure through this sort of purchasing power pinch that the saving rate would fall below pre-pandemic norms of around 7 to 7.5% saving rate. But the, the data released this week, that that, that pattern of strong consumer spending and sharp deterioration in real income, I think, is was larger than we had anticipated just one one week ago. That's that's kind of the fear. Right. So I, I think you're 100 percent right that this this notion of 
of a of an elevated saving rate that can really absorb a lot of pain um that's we we've been flagging that for a while and and it clearly has worked right as as we're seeing in the data i guess the question is it you know to the point that we lost a lot more income than we thought you know is certainly a lot more purchasing power than we thought where does that leave us so although we can look back and say hey that was great look how amazing the us consumers done through this and look how amazing of a shock absorber the saving rate was done when we look forward should I feel good about this or should I start to feel a little bit more worried? So I think uh, certainly the fact that the saving rate has fallen to a level that we didn't see in more than a decade uh, limits the scope that the saving rate could fall further, particularly if inflation remains uh, elevated and persistently elevated in a way that really begins to squeeze uh, the, the consumer's ability to uh, maintain steady consumption growth. Um, our oil commodity research team has flagged the risk of retail ga gas prices in the U.S. going above $6 over the summer, and that rep would represent a, a, a very considerable uh, headwind that um, consumers might be unwilling to tolerate in terms of eating into their excess savings. Um, in some research a few weeks ago, I estimated that each $1 of spending at the gas station due to higher prices typically drags on discretionary spending on the order of around $1.60 over the course of a quarter. So that's a, that's a material drag that, that represents not only the individual response, but the way that this type of shock propagates through, through the economy. Um, so the fact that consumers are already eating so much into their $2.5 trillion in excess savings means that there's less uh, powder uh, to, to actually support growth in the future if the sort of material risks of higher inflation ultimately realized. Now, yeah, I think that that's that's kind of the, the key here, right? Because if, and this is a big if, and it's our forecast, right? If inflation comes back down, then what you're left with as the tide kind of pulls out on that is very strong job growth, very strong wage inflation, and that will support consumer spending, right? right. And the saving rate doesn't need to kind of move down further. You're going to get spending growing in line with income. Uh, right. And we, we do have, have the, mm -hmm. well, just, just to reiterate that point, we do have real disposable income growth uh, coming into effect by the end of this year, up 2.5% on an annualized basis in the fourth quarter. So like that can support a steady and even above historical norms of consumer mm -hmm. spending growth by the end of this year. But that hinges, as you say, crucially on the deceleration in inflation. Right. Yeah. And and I think that is combined with China, this this kind of story out there of, of rising um, kind of margins, pushing up retail gasoline prices. I, I'd also emphasize this week oil prices have been kind of stealthily creeping up from kind of 105. I, I'm not sure where they are now, but it seemed like they were floating over 115. That's a 10% increase, which is usually gets me to the point 10% is where I start to get a little kind of worried about the oil price move. So oil price moving up, the the crack spread, the margin between oil and retail also moving up, um, you know, adding to that $6 a gallon. 
boy, that's a that's a real body blow after the consumer's just been suffering body blow after body blow for the last few quarters here and and really taking it on the chin and absorbing it through the through the um uh through the saving rate doesn't seem like that can do much more here. So unless we get some inflation relief here, I think we're worried. This forecast of $6 says maybe we're not going to get that relief until what? August, September? Yeah, so okay, so I mean, I, I guess we're we keep saying we're in a testing time, but boy, this is really going to be a, a a tough period here. With that said, uh let's just shift gears a second to to the Fed and policymakers in 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 general. Um you know, this week we did get the minutes from the FOMC meeting. They seem pretty gung-ho on on kind of moving forward with with policy hikes, right? Right, that's right. So, um, in in many respects, there wasn't much that stood out in the minutes that hadn't already been communicated by various Fed speak, as well as from uh, what Powell himself had said um, after the meeting. Um, Fifty basis point hike uh, seems to be the consensus view for a couple of meetings, and that is indeed our expectation that they raise by fifty basis points at the June and July meeting. Um, but then temper the cadence to 25 basis points uh, thereafter. Um, I think there are material risks to this outlook, uh, some of which the the Fed emphasized the ongoing war in Ukraine, the dislocations in uh, global commodity uh, markets, this risk of energy prices spiking further represents uh, a, a downside growth risk that they will be attentive to. Yeah. So I guess the question then is, you know, in a world where we're feeling like growth could be slowing here, is there something, recession risks we know are rising, the models that you put together show recession risks kind of rising to above 30% or about 30% maybe uh, over the coming year. Um, are they immune to that? Um, is there a point at which they kind of pull back? So I think if uh, if growth begins to slow by more than you know their their objective is to temper demand in the economy, tighten financial conditions, alleviate labor demand. You know they they've made this recent rhetorical pivot toward emphasizing pulling down vacancies as opposed to pushing up the unemployment rate. Um, it's arguable whether that's mo primarily a rhetorical shift or whether that's actually achievable in an environment where the labor market is as uh, exceptionally tight as it is. Um, but if that growth slowdown is more pronounced than they expect, then presumably they would ease off the pedal a bit, um, perhaps not move past uh, neutral territory um, or even slow the cadence at which they they reach that neutral. But yeah, and I, I would emphasize. I mean, this the point that we already have built in our forecast. This slowing to twenty five, I think, is a little bit of a a nod to that uh, in some sensitivity. And then I think you also had some some rhetoric out, like from Bostic this week, who actually you know was floating the idea of of pausing once you get get to neutral. Uh, I think Powell had some language like that as well. Hey, we'll get to neutral and we'll look around what what happens. I think, you know, prior to these recent downside growth risks, um, you know, there was a sense, and certainly I was on the more hawker side, that they needed to go well through neutral because 
you know, we were getting pretty overheated here. Um, you know, if growth does slow, obviously that is going to be something that takes the inflation pressures off and maybe they don't need to hike as much. So uh, that there is a circuit break there in Fed activity, even if in, in Fed actions, uh, even if right now the rhetoric seems fair, fairly hawkish, that's important for, for people to remember. Um, so with that said, I, I guess what we're seeing is kind of remarkable resilience in the in the rearview mirror uh, and a, a sense of continued headwinds that is really going to test and stretch that resilience, kind of raising some of these downside risks. Um, I suppose a, a Fed and, and I'd, I'd point out other central banks that um, would be kind of sensitive to this as, as risk increase uh, a fair bit. Um, Next week, we're going to get two key pieces of data. Uh, uh, the first, I would say, are going to, at least that I'm going to be watching, the first is going to be the Asian PMIs, um, really get, trying to get a sense of what the spillovers are from the China slowdown. I think Asia should be kind of on the front lines of those spillovers. So watching the Asian PMIs will be out. Uh, and then, of course, we get U.S. payrolls real quickly. Do you know what we're getting there? So our uh, quant models are pointing to somewhere on the in the uh, territory of 375,000 uh, payroll growth. Um, the alternative data models that we look at are a bit more optimistic, but those models have been uh, missing uh, in, in recent months. I mean, I think the reality is, is that the sorts of alt data that were useful during the pandemic have a challenging time incorporating some of the longer run constraints on labor supply that should over time temper the pace of labor uh, employment growth um, as the labor market moves back into um, something that's no longer like just simply recovering from the pandemic and uh, is closer to the steady state pace of job growth. Okay. All right. So, but basically I, I would say it is we're looking for more strong job growth, right? And and that's a that's a continued message. That really is the the kind of the fuel for the expansion and the fuel for the resilience is strong job growth, strong wage growth. Uh, we look for more of that in next week's uh, payrolls report from the U.S. So between the Asian PMIs, the U.S. payrolls, we'll have a lot to talk about. Um, thank you everyone for watching and we look forward to continuing the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.